With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, Hawkeye fans, for another edition of the Hawkeye History Podcast, where we catch up with uh, former Iowa athletes and find out what they're up to today and then take a walk down memory lane from their time at Iowa and before. Um, this is Rob Howe, publisher of HawkeyeNation.com. If you don't recognize the voice or, or and or are not sick of it at this point, I am uh, back, and, and today I have former Hawkeye safety John Loudermilk, uh, who recently moved out to the great state of uh, Iowa, and maybe you were in Iowa before, but you told me the other day you're in Des Moines. How's it going, John? Good. Thanks for having me, Rob. It must be a uh, slow news month having me <laughs> on here, but I was actually over in uh, Peoria, Illinois. I uh, I moved out here beginning of March. Um, I started with... Uh, Striker, uh, a med device company, yeah, yeah. and I did a uh, apprenticeship role for about a year and a half over in Peoria. Um, and then, yeah, I, I kind of switched divisions over to sports medicine here in Des Moines and uh, kind of learning on the fly this this quarantine. It hasn't been all too bad because it's given me a chance to kind of catch up on some uh, educational items for, for this new division that I'm in. But I'm uh, definitely happy to be back in Iowa. I, I love it here. That's that's the John I remember. You look for the silver linings, um, and you went through the the 2012 se- season here, so there, you had to look for silver linings. Yeah, that was that was I'm a rough kidding. year. I'm joking around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it kind of sucked because we were just basically average uh, all four years I was there. We uh, I know prior Iowa had won I don't know how many bowl games in a row, and then. Uh, we got out there and we we lost every bowl game we were in. And then 2012, we didn't we didn't even get to go to a bowl, so still yeah. kind of leaves a sour taste in the mouth. Yeah, we'll get back down that that road here in a minute. But I, I'm interested to to kind of start where where um, you were talking about your occupation now and what you're doing these days because so many guys that I know uh, for for going going back you know 20 years now. Uh, you know, work in the field that you work in, and it just seems to be conducive uh, to, to former football players and other athletes to be in that field. Why has it been, and maybe it hasn't been, but it, has it been an easy transition, and, and why do you think this occupation kind of fits, uh, you know, what you did athletically? I wouldn't say it's been – a very easy transition. I mean, I've been a football player my entire life, and that's all I've really focused on. And so I knew when I was done playing, I had to kind of, you know, figure out what I wanted to do. 
and I wasn't sure. And so I just tried to reach out to people, you know, find out companies that people were, that they were happy working with. And a, uh, a real close friend of mine, Macon Pleva, who was a, uh, yeah. a fullback at Iowa whenever yep. I was there, um, he had worked for Stryker and, and he was really happy with what he was doing. And so I, I just said, is there any openings? Can you, can you get me in touch with somebody? And, uh, the hiring manager was Zach Butler, who was an Iowa City guy who, uh, who played at Iowa State, actually. Um, I, uh, not to interrupt you, but I actually, um, when I worked the Iowa City Press Citizen, I, I started in 1997 and Zach was playing at City High at that time and I covered a bunch of his football games before he went to Iowa State. And his dad actually played at Iowa. You probably knew that. Yeah. Um, but, um, Hayden didn't offer him. And funny story here that I remember, um, City and West play for the Battle of the Boot, which is like kind of one of the traditional things in the state. And West High had beaten City High during the regular season. I think this was 97. And I'm walking off the field in the playoff game where City got revenge and won in the playoffs. And I'm walking off the field with Zach and I was like, man, this has got to be great revenge for the battle of the boot. And he's like, hey, let him keep the fucking boot. We're going on in the playoffs. And I was like, Zach, I cannot put that in the paper, man. And he goes, I don't yeah. and it was just, So anyway, that was a funny story I thought I'd share. But go ahead. He yeah. I, Obviously, I, I've known Zach for years, so I I understand he's a cool dude. Yeah, he, he's very intense. He actually reminds me a lot of uh, Coach Doyle, and I think I kind of respond respond well to that to that motivation. But anyway, so Macon got me in touch with Zach. I was in Ohio at the time, but I, I went and met him in Chicago, downtown Chicago. Had an interview, did a ride along in Peoria where there was an opening. Um, did another interview afterwards, and then ended up getting a job and. It was in Peoria. I had never, like, thought I would be living in Peoria, Illinois. Um, but I was just kind of anxious to take that next step of my life and uh, get out there. And I was willing to go wherever. So, yeah, I went out to Peoria for a year and a half. I was in uh, endoscopy. So, basically, any any scope that you'd go in, I was uh, selling the video equipment, assisting, servicing uh, uh, surgeons in the operating room. Um, so any of the technology, the consoles, scopes, cameras, things like that. Um, and then it was kind of time to take the next step and kind of move up in the company a little bit. And Zach had told me there was a sports medicine opportunity open in Des Moines. And so, you know, I either wanted to move back closer to my family in Ohio, kind of the Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Columbus area, or I knew I wanted to get back out to Iowa. And this opportunity opened up. So here I am. So what does the job entail now in the sports medicine uh, uh, part of the field? What, what are you doing now? What's your, what are your job requirements there? Uh, so I'm, I'm working with all orthopedic surgeons, um, you know, selling things they, they use and rotator cuff repairs, you know, hip scopes, knee scopes, things of that nature. So I'm just, you know, servicing in the operating room. I kind of just stand in the back and, you know, assist as much as I can, but I'm really not doing any of the work. It's, it's all the surgeons and it's pretty amazing the things they can do these days. So, but yeah, that's kind of the, the daily activities for me. Gotcha. I know a lot of guys say one of the parallels, I guess, that, um, that kind of keeps them going in the field 
of medical sales is that that competition. You're competing with other people that are trying to sell as well. Um, have you found that to be the case? That that yes. they kind of, you get you get you can feed off of some of that competition. I need yeah, I needed something where I, I could set goals, uh, try to achieve goals, and obviously there's a, a big competition aspect to it. Um, and you know, I think always that competition kind of brings the best out of everybody. And so I, that's something that's always kind of driven me, uh, is competing and, and made me, you know, who I am today. And so I need, I knew that I needed something in, in the workforce, um, that was competitive. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's how I ended up in, with Striker. And, and it's just a, it's a great company to work for. I mean, they're really taking care of us, you know, during these times as well. And so, yeah, I would say that was uh, very attractive to me uh, in the in the med sales world. Um, we'll go we'll go all over the kind of we'll go back and bounce around here rather than going chronicle chronological order. However what you want to you... do it, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the country and the world's a just anarchy right now why why not make the podcast kind of anarchy and have people jump yeah. all over the place people don't even remember what freaking day it is i know, um, <laughs> I know. what is it thursday <laughs> i think so yeah. uh and the weekends don't even really matter now because every day is kind of like the same it's just it's bizarre, just day but... just day. <laughs> yes <laughs> um so you you finish up at iowa what uh what happened after that in terms of um getting a look professionally football wise and then um, beyond that, looking at, you know, what options were you looking at, at besides medical sales as, as career possibilities? Um, so I went out to uh, San Diego as an undrafted free agent. That's right. Um, yeah, I went out there and, and I don't know, whenever the rookies reported for rookie minicamp and then OTAs, uh, then I was there for training camp. I think we had – uh, I, I made it till final cuts, got let go. I, I had an idea that I probably wasn't going to make it. They, most teams carry probably four safeties and maybe one safety on the practice squad. Um, and they had their five guys before I hadn't even gotten there. Mm-hmm. And so the whole time I knew that I was just kind of in the preseason games, I was trying to put out tape for possibly other teams. Um, and so ended up getting let go there. And then I went back to Iowa City, kind of worked out a little bit. And then the Vikings, uh, had called me to come up for a workout. I went up there, worked out, and they ended up signing me uh, when I was up there. And so I was on the practice squad for the rest of the year there uh, until the the draft. Um, they drafted a, a, a safety, ended up letting me go. I was pretty disappointed too because I, I loved I loved Minnesota. I loved the Vikings organization. I loved the guys in the locker room, um, and I thought I had a legit shot there. Ended up getting let go. And it was really, it was really tough for me then, uh, just cause, you know, I had a couple of days of practice that, that went really well and things were looking really positive for me. And then I think they ended up signing a running back too and then let me go. Um, and then the Bu- Tampa Bay Buccaneers had called the very next day. They had claimed me off waivers and I was just pretty worn down at that point. And so I had talked to, my agent Neil Cornrich and I was just like I don't think I really want to go down like I don't know if I want to keep doing this this would have been my my third team and or my third city in under a year um but I ended up going down um 
and uh, I think I was there for two weeks, and it was just it ended up being a lot as far as you know you got to learn a whole new system, you got to learn the the verbiage for everything, and, and NFL defense is kind of a lot to pick up. And I at that point I was already like two weeks behind the uh, the rookies, and so I think it was my second or third week down there. I was just uh, you know I was just not a guy like me who was fighting and scratching and clawing for a roster spot if your heart's not in it if your head's not in it you're kind of just wasting your time and I remember I was sitting in a meeting one day and we were going out to practice and I just went and talked to uh you know uh the player developmental guy and I told him hey I just want to make this as quick and painless as possible but you know I'm just I'm just not feeling it anymore and so signed some paperwork they asked if I was sure I wanted to do that and I said yeah and so signed it and uh, t- took off to my sisters in North Carolina from there. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was just uh, – I don't know. I it, it was weird because I – football was, you know, I always loved the game of football. And then I, uh, I just – it kind of wore me down, you know, and uh, I just didn't have it in me anymore, I guess. And so I kind of turned in my cleats and off I went. So that would have been what, 2016, John? Yeah, so 15, yeah, I was with in, with the Chargers and Camp for 15 and then Vikings through 16. Yeah, so that would have been the summer of 2016. Okay. And same agent as Coach Ferentz. Yeah, uh, Neil. He actually uh, might be getting ahead of myself here, but uh, Neil Cornish's first client was my dad. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's uh, some connections there. But, yeah, Neil, uh, it's a funny story to hear my, my dad tell because whenever he was finished up at Ohio State and the draft was coming up, Neil had actually called him about, you know, wanting to represent him. And uh, and my dad hung up the phone on him because he thought it was a prank call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a funny, it's a funny story to tell. That is funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Neil's done pretty well himself. Yeah, I would say so. He's he's pretty good at his job. Um, but then, yeah, I uh, after that, I was just kind of in limbo because I had never thought about life after football. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, I was just kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And, yeah, kind of like I said earlier, I, I reached out to some friends and tried to network a little bit, be a little more social than I than I maybe – previously was and uh yeah i just did a few interviews with striker and and here i am so and i couldn't be happier what were there other things you were considering or was it pretty much a blank slate when you when you were done with football blank slate i had no idea no clue um yeah i never i'd never thought about it well i i my dad back home he's got a uh um a company kind of in the uh uh, natural gas industry he does a lot of trucking and, and you know, mechanics work and, and things like that so he owns that and he uh i worked for him for a little bit just to kind of buy myself some time uh until i kind of find found something that uh, i wanted to do so but yeah i knew that 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 life wasn't really for me um i didn't really want to work on trucks and do that sort of thing for the rest of my life and because all the credit to those guys those are tough blue collar jobs and we need people mm-hmm. to do them but i was not one of those people <laughs> well just a um 
a couple questions I have off of, uh, you know, your football career ending. Um, I think regret's probably too heavy of a word, but um, I would think that be it kind of it almost sounded like you were you got burned out, at, you know, at, at at a point where you were like, I can't do this anymore. But since then, again, regret I think is. But have you thought about what if you didn't walk away, or have you had an itch, I guess, to play football since you walked away, or has has there never been any doubt that you did the right thing? I wouldn't say there hasn't been, you know, I mean, you could, some regret. Um, Anytime there's games on, you always wonder, you know, what if, things like that. But whenever training camp rolls around, I don't miss training camp. Uh, I don't miss, I don't miss the off-season stuff. But uh, just games. Miss the games. You miss the guys. You miss the camaraderie in the locker room. Uh, Yeah, I would say probably the friendships the friendships that you build is probably the thing that you miss the most. And it's tough to find that after football. And so, um, you know, it, but with the company, with striker, you know, there's a lot of good guys and, and it's a good locker room to be in, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's not, you know, football, you're with the guys 24 seven every day, blood, sweat, tears, you know, all that. And so it's just, it's just tough to build those relationships that you build in a locker room. And then at the same time, there's nothing like competing in football and, uh, you know, just grinding every day and going through, going through practices and games and things like that. So yeah, I would say everybody misses football, but you know, who knows what could have happened. I, like I got out healthy. I never had any, any bad injuries, things like that. So I, so, you know, I'm I'm happy with, with the career I had. Mm. Wish we were a little better in college, though, at times. But <laughs> <laughs> We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, now we're going to jump around again to keep the anarchy theme going here. Um, for you especially, though, football, I mean, had to always be not always didn't have to be, but it was a part of your life just because of your dad. And for those listeners that don't know, uh, John's dad is Kirk Laddermilk who played at Ohio state and then long NFL career predominantly with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, you know, you, you must've known football as soon as you can, you know, as far back as you can remember. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was born, I was born in Minnesota, but I only lived there for a year. And then, uh, my dad's, that was kind of when free agency had started. Um, and then my dad had signed with the Colts after his first eight years. Um, and so my earliest memories are, are him with the Colts. And there's still pictures of me with a Jim Harbaugh jersey on, you know, Harbaugh was my favorite player. And, yeah. and so going, <laughs> going, <laughs> going. <laughs> Going to the, Everybody uh, listening right now is just like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> I am not a Harbaugh hater, but listen, I'm I'm all Iowa, so I can understand. No, um, I, I'm kidding. I got another funny Harbaugh story, too. But so, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, my earliest memories were from Indianapolis. And then, um, uh, yeah, till, till I was about four or five. I can't remember exactly. And so I had always been around the game of football. I loved I loved football. Um, and so, yeah, I just I guess growing up, you don't. It's looking back. Obviously, I grew up a little differently than most people. But when you when you're a young kid, you don't you don't really realize how different it is. But yeah, and just 
fell in love with the game at an early age and, you know, pl- played and played till shit, I was 22, 23, whatever. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a part of my life for a very long time. How was your dad, um, I guess, what kind of, not like how he parented you, but just in terms of relating to, you know, I, I wonder a guy who's playing at such a high level that your dad did watching you grow up, what what type of, I guess, guidance and impact did he have on you uh, in terms of the game of football? Well, from he, – he was an offensive lineman. I was always a skilled guy. So it was a little different. But I guess – he 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 didn't always coach me growing up. He let other people coach me. He was very he was pretty hands off for the most part, um, which is probably different from a lot of guys. But one thing he he always wanted me to do whatever I wanted to do, and cool. I guess he just kind of lucked out that I I loved football. But you know if I wanted to be in the band or do whatever else, like he would have supported me one hundred percent. And so he was uh he he was he was a pretty great dad, and he. Him and my mom both were very supportive. They always, you know, got me to football practice, got me to the games, got me to basketball practices. I played AU basketball growing up. So they were able to take me to, you know, all over the country to, to play basketball or whatever. And so, uh, yeah, he, he was great. But at the same time, it was whatever I wanted, whatever I wanted to do, he, he would have supported me as long as it wasn't too outrageous. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I was driving at. If he was more of a dad that kind of just push, 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 or if I got, you know, I always with my kids, you know, always I, I was kind of the same way. As, I've been the same way as your dad. Just kind of, you know, let the let them, you know, guide them, but don't steer them in any direction. Just kind of let them do what they feel uh, they're interested in. So, yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm sure your mom, Kelly Loudermilk. Uh, she was probably the one doing a lot of the, the, the toting around of you to different events, I would imagine. Yeah, they both, they were both great. And, and my grandparents were great too. I mean, I, I was really blessed, Rob, just growing up. I have, I have, I have a great family, great support system. Um, but yeah, and, and my mom, she's pretty tough too. So, and I, I have three sisters and all my sisters were in athletics growing up. And so my oldest sister is six years older than me and I, my two older sisters actually they both they both played traveling softball, traveling basketball, and so I was always going to the the girls' basketball games and softball games, you know, watching them mm-hmm. play whether it was in North Carolina or, or wherever in the country. So we were always busy running around doing some sort of athletic event. What was it like growing up with three sisters? That it had to be. Um, did they pick on you? Yeah, <laughs> they did. They they definitely did. I don't think I could beat my oldest, my sister Ashley, who's my oldest sister in basketball, until I was in eighth grade. Probably she was a she was a pretty good basketball player, and then uh, also tough. She she ran over me one time. I, she drove a truck and kind of ran over top of me one time because um, I wouldn't get out of the the middle of the driveway. And then my other <laughs> my. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I got my ass kicked growing up. There's no doubt about that. Uh, my other sister, Allie, she was a she was a softball player. Um, she's probably the toughest of the bunch. But uh, there was a there was one. My dad, we went out I think pheasant hunting one time, and 
he told me to go put a uh, a bird on her because it was like noon and she was still sleeping. <laughs> she uh, she ended up jacking me up against the dresser and like beat my ass pretty good. So yeah, they were kind of like older brothers in that way. So then my younger sister Taylor, she was uh, she's great, but she's uh, she was a really good athlete. You know, three sport athletes. So. So they were all, it, it, it was, it was great. I, I have great sisters. So I was probably pretty lucky I didn't have an older brother. So I would have probably got my ass kicked a little bit more, but <laughs> they did their fair share of that. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before I forget, can you tell the Harbaugh story that you were thinking of, or, or is it not something you're comfortable t- telling? Well, and if yeah, it's no. a positive story, maybe it'll make people like him. Iowa <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, no, I was just, if we got into like kind of the recruiting stuff, I was, when I, I went out to a, uh, a quarterback camp, um, I think it was before my sophomore year. I can't remember exactly, but my, my high school basketball team, it was, we were doing summer basketball stuff and we had all given ourselves mohawks and I had a, and I dyed it black. So I had a dyed black mohawk and I was going out to a Stanford football camp or quarterback camp. <laughs> And I mean, I just did not fit in. I stuck out like a sore thumb and I would have never gotten into Stanford anyways. But my dad wanted me to go out because obviously he had a relationship with Harbaugh and, you know, it would probably be good to go get some, some tips out there. And, uh, yeah, I just went out, had a black mohawk and I just remember him coming up to me and, you know, asking me what the hell was wrong with me, this and that, that, and, uh, and, uh, just calling me fucking nuts and things like that. And it's just like, of all people, Harbaugh's calling you nuts. And he definitely got a few screws loose, but, and then, so yeah, that was, that was basically it. But, uh, that's funny. That's a yeah. good story. Yeah. Um, so let's, this is flowing well, John, let's flow right into, uh, recruiting and your high school career and kind of, was there a point where you were like, I mean, I, I know all you guys that end up playing college football, for many of you, I should say, I shouldn't say all, it's a dream to play college football as you're growing up. Um, at what point did you feel like it was a reality that you could do that? I always, I always knew I wanted to play college football and I always figured I would. Um, and I always envisioned myself playing for a power five team, but I, I wasn't highly recruited. Uh, and so I was a guy who had to go, go to camps, like go, just try to get your name on the radar. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I was from a small town in Ohio, you know, the competition wasn't crazy. Um, cause it it was a mid-sized, mid-sized school. Um, so I was constantly going to camps all summer between, you know, football camps at different colleges or basketball. And so it wasn't, I think it was the summer before my, my senior year, I got my first offer by Miami of Ohio. Um, and so, and that's kind of when I was like, okay, I got a Mac school now. Let's kind of see where this, where this goes. Um, and then I can't, I can't remember. I, I ended up getting, I think Miami of Ohio, Toledo, Kent State, uh, a couple FCS schools. Um, it wasn't a lot. It was, I think it was six or seven scholarship offers. I'm going to look so, you up while you're talking. I'm looking you up on rivals. I just remember. And what's funny about it is that Toledo staff is actually the staff for the most part that's at Iowa State now. Um, oh, yeah. So, 
But they it were. Says, uh, your rival's profile, two star, six two, two hundred and, or six two, two hundred pound outside linebacker. Offers <laughs> from Air Force, Fordham, yeah. Kent State, Miami of Ohio, and Youngstown State. Interest from Michigan State and Toledo. Sound about right? Yeah, so Toledo, yeah, Toledo did offer me, but they were okay. pressuring me. They were pressuring me to commit early. You know, those Iowa State guys and those former, they, they just throw out scholarship offers, try to get you to commit right, right away. Right. And if you don't commit soon enough, they don't, they pull your scholarship. Um, and so I think that's kind of what they still do. But, um, but yeah, so not a lot, not a, not a lot of options, but I had a lot of traffic coming into my high school and, you know, being in a small town, if you see like West Virginia or whoever walking through the high school, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. But, uh, and so, yeah, I, and my goal was kind of, I wanted people to watch my tape and I wanted people to come watch me play basketball because obviously you don't, you don't get too many guys that are able to come recruit you during football season. And so I wanted to come watch me play basketball because I was probably a better high school basketball player than I was football. Um, and so really? I had a, yeah, I had a, yeah, I, I was on a pretty good uh, basketball team in high school, but, uh, but yeah, so, and then I wouldn't come into the picture until late. I, uh, and I think it's, it's most definitely because of the Neil Cornrich relationship. Um, I think he had sent some articles or, or something uh, to coach Ferentz and, uh, and some tape and whatever. And cause, so Coach Parker didn't start reaching out to me until I think it was like bull prep of the Insight Bowl 2010. And mm-hmm. they had a guy that they thought was going to decommit. And so they didn't uh, – they're like, hey, if this guy decommits, then we're going to offer you a scholarship. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take it if you offer me. And so otherwise I was going to go to Kent State. Um, and then I, I remember like I watched the Insight Bowl and I was like, wow, you know playing for Iowa would be pretty sick. And so then uh, it was three days before signing day, end of January or something. Um, no, it and, says, uh, says you committed on February 2nd of 2011. So that had to be right before yeah, signing day. Yeah. And I had talked with Coach Parker and Coach Ferentz uh, a bit. I wasn't sure it was going to happen or not. And so I was nervous, but I knew – and I had never even visited Iowa or, or anything, but I knew like if they offered me, that's where I was going. Um, and so they, uh, but yeah, I remember I was, I was on my way home from, uh, somewhere in town and I lived out, like I grew up where my parents live is the middle of nowhere. And so there's a lot of dead spots, uh, for cell phone service. And I got the call from coach Ferentz and I remember I had to, I had to stop and park on the side of the road where I knew I had phone service. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he had, he told me they were going to offer me. And I said, well, I'm going to accept it right now. So you don't get a chance to, you know, second think it. And so, <laughs> so I told him I'm committing right now. And so whatever I got to do, sign whatever I got to sign. And so, yeah, I committed to Iowa and then signed and never visited there. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty confident in, what you're getting yourself into if you do that sight unseen. I've I've been known to make a few impulsive decisions <laughs> in my life. But uh no, I had heard it was weird because I know I've said this before, but uh obviously my dad and Neil have a relationship. I've known Neil my entire life. Um 
And so, and he's always spoken very highly of, of Coach Ferentz and just the entire Iowa staff. And so my my dad, I just remember him telling me when I was maybe you know freshman or sophomore in high school, like Coach Ferentz would be the guy I'd probably want you to know, uh, play for. Wow. And he had yeah, he I knew think him. You have told me that story. He knew he had met Coach Ferentz before when he was in free agency because Coach Ferentz was with uh, Coach Belichick mm-hmm. in Cleveland. And my dad was kind of flying around, you know, before he ended up signing with the Colts. But he met with the Browns and met with Coach Ferentz. So he had actually known Coach Ferentz from before. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it all ended up – it couldn't work out better for me personally, honestly. Iowa was awesome. So, And I know I've asked you this before, and, you, and, and you've talked about it before, but obviously with your dad playing at Ohio State, did you grow up Ohio State fan? And that, was that the school that – Let's say dream school, but school that you were hoping would would uh, offer. Yes, without a doubt, Ohio State was my my dream. Like I grew up, my dad would take me to one or two Ohio State games a year, and he'd always take me to a Colts game. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Growing up. And so that was, I loved Ohio State growing up. I mean, thinking back early to like Joe Germain days and, you know, Steve Belisari and, you know, I I did grow up an Ohio State fan, and then I found out that you know Trestle was there then, and I think they had told, they had told me that I was in the they had five scholarships and there were there was twelve guys that were still had it narrowed down to, and I uh, I didn't make the cut, and I was at the moment I was at peace with it to be honest with you, and uh, and so yeah it, that didn't end up working out for me, but. Came out to Iowa and excuse me, it couldn't have it couldn't have worked out better for me. I mean, it was it was the right it was the right spot for me, and I can't speak uh, highly enough about the coaches there. It was just you know it was a match made in heaven for myself personally. It's interesting too because Jim Lachey's kid, Luke Lachey. Yeah, you probably know this. You know, obviously Jim is Ohio State and. Uh, they didn't offer Luke, and now Luke's on his way out here. So, kind of a similar story to you. Yeah, yeah. My dad, my dad did play with Jim Lachey at, at Ohio State. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it, it works out for him. I mean, yeah, Iowa, like, I, Iowa is. Just, I don't know. It's so unique, and it just I've I've fell in love with it. So, and I, you know, it couldn't have worked out better for me, and you know, I'm sure it'll work out great for him as well. Yeah, I encourage you to look at some of his basketball footage too. You talked about you playing basketball. He's a pretty, for like a six, seven, six, eight kid, he's pretty nimble. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, what he does, what Coach Doyle does with him. So he's a heck of an athlete. Yeah. I, I mean, I think basketball, I mean, even wrestling yeah. too, but you know, I think those two sports really translate well to the, to the football field. So you show up, uh, fall, summer 2011. And, uh, you know, a guy who doesn't get a scholarship offer to almost signing day ends up playing as a true freshman. How, 
remind us kind of how that happened and, and kind of how you got yourself on the field right away when you got on campus. Yeah, well, I, uh, that's a great question. I probably shouldn't have been on the field. Um, but <laughs> you know, I, there's uh, probably a lot of guys that are, that would say that too. As much as I, I interview recruits and they're, and I'm like, I'm one of the first things they say when I say, you know, what, what are your goals for this year? I want to play, you know, cause everybody wants to play, but are you ready to play? Yeah. A redshirt year sucks. It does. There's right. no doubt about it, but it's just a time to, focus on yourself and just improve and get in the weight room and just get adjusted to, you know, the college environment. But, uh, yeah, I, and you know, if I would have registered it, I would have been on that Rose Bowl team. So I think that would have worked out pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I actually, it, I remember I'm going back, God, test my memory here. <laughs> I, uh, I had gotten hurt. Like I rolled my ankle really bad in camp and, uh, uh, and that uh, really, because I did not want to be a freshman that came in and got hurt and missed practice time. Like that was, that I like I took pride in my toughness, and that that set me back at the beginning. But then, so I missed three or four days, which felt like an eternity, um, especially you know with Coach Parker. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but uh, was I that the beginning of camp? Was that a beginning yeah, camp job? It was or, like or dirt. It was the beginning of camp. Um, okay. And so I. Uh, but I remember I had set a goal for myself, and all freshmen want to play their first year. They all want to play. And I set a goal for myself was just to make the travel squad. That's what I wanted to do. And so I went through camp and was definitely getting my ass kicked. And I, but you know, every scout team I was on, I, you know, I busted my ass and went as hard as I could. Um, and so yeah, I just I think that's kind of where I got. They, they noticed me was on the, all the scout team stuff. And then I was still originally supposed to redshirt. So uh, first game was Tennessee Tech. I dressed, but I was redshirting. That second game was that Iowa State game, the triple overtime loss over in Ames. Um, and I think we had some special teams issues or something. I can't remember exactly. And then I came in on that Sunday for film after that Iowa State game. And uh, Coach Parker had come up to me and asked me, hey, are you good with taking your red shirt off? Like, we're probably going to use you this week. And it's like, what, are you going to say no? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and so that pit game was the first game I had played. And all I did was run down on kickoff and play punt return. And I'm telling you, I couldn't sleep the whole week. <laughs> like, I could not sleep to just play punt return and kickoff. So, uh, yeah, somehow I, I found my way on the field that first year and, you know, it was, uh, it was quite the experience. It was amazing. I'm telling you, the first time you run out in Kinnick, your feet don't touch. So <laughs> when you're running out, so. What a first game too. Mm-hmm. That, that was, was wild. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Vandy, oh God, he was, he was in that second half. He was in such rhythm. And I mean, just dinking and dunking down the field when they kind of went to that no auto offense and, uh, Marv and Keenan and Tay were just on point. That was, that was an awesome game. That was cause I remember when we had taken the lead late and we ran down on, on, on kickoff, I just couldn't remember. And we stopped them inside like the 15, I think the yeah. run back. And I just remember how loud it was in there. And there's just little moments like that, that you remember. That was, uh, that was a pretty sweet feeling. And that season was kind of up and down um, for you guys, and you had some tough losses in there too. I mean, the the, the loss 
at Penn State, um, the one to um, Minnesota. Both of those were just kind of heartbreaking losses. Um, and then you guys drew Oklahoma in the Insight Bowl. So you were watching the Insight Bowl the previous year, and then you were playing in it. Yeah. Yeah, Penn State game. So I did, actually. I remember now that they had moved me. Somebody got – I think Tyler Nielsen got hurt, and so they actually had moved me to that Leo linebacker position. And okay. so they put Tommy Donatel there, and then I was next guy in. And I remember watch, like watching Tommy, and I was probably 190 pounds soaking wet there. <laughs> And I swear Penn State's tight ends were, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, yeah. 260-plus. And I was like, oh, I could really get my ass kicked in there if, like, something happens to Tommy. And so, uh, but, yeah, it's just something else I, I think about. But, yeah, that Oklahoma team, they were uh, – I felt bad for Kanzari got to play that game, too. And yeah. they had some beast linebackers. And I remember he took a couple hits that you just wondered if he was going to get up from. So, but yeah, that, that Arizona trip, that was a, that was an awesome bull game experience, but we kind of drew a, a tough opponent there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and let's, we, we got to do it, John. We'll, we'll talk about 2012. And I think a, a big part of, um, you know, gets underplayed there was Coach Ferentz's staff was so intact through all those years. And you guys were the first real group that dealt with, you know, coaching turnover and new coaches and, you know, a change in systems and things like that. I know it wasn't as much on the defensive side of the ball, but what was that like just with that change in the locker room, having new faces? Well, it, it honestly, there, we did change some on the defense side of the ball too, because Phil had become the defensive coordinator. Right. Um, Coach Wilson had switched from linebackers to defensive backs, so it, it was still the same system for the most part, but there was still some adjustment. But it was the offensive side of the ball was really, you know, I, I feel bad for uh, Vandy the most, just because mm-hmm. that's that's so taxing on a quarterback, and <clears throat> you know, James took a lot of heat, but. He was really a damn good quarterback. Like he he was he was a good player. So that's tough, especially one off season. Just think about you know I think about guys that come in as a freshman trying to learn a playbook. That takes a long time to do. And so and on the offensive side of the ball, there's just so many different integral parts that go into it. So it was uh that was definitely a tough year. You feel bad for the seniors, guys like Vandy, Micah Hyde, you know. Uh, a lot of really good players, and so that was a that was a tough year. That off season going into my junior season was not fun, but it was uh, very productive. So, tell us what you mean by that, John. Oh, you know, they just they got after us in the weight room, <laughs> which which you know at the same time they do every off season, which is the way a college program is supposed to be, especially one like Iowa. But uh, yeah, there was just some tough days in there. But, I mean, you, you guys turned it around. I mean, it wasn't like you guys, you know, had a Rose Bowl season, but the jump from 2012 to 2013 was was significant. What what kind of led to that, other than, you know, them, you know, working your ass off in the weight room? Yeah, I uh, – well, I've always – Iowa, I feel like 
we're always there's always you know four or five games that are decided within six points or less. Right. And the great seasons, they win all of them. The you know the average seasons, they win half of them, and then uh, the bad seasons, they lose all of them. So there's so many games that are decided by you know they're close games, and so and I I don't I don't know what the exact shift was, but. uh, we had some damn good players on defense. I know that with uh, our three linebackers and our, our defensive line was good. And um, I think just a lot of things kind of clicked. And so, it, and on the offensive side of the ball, it was, an, it was another year in the system. So uh, that was a, that was a, a good year. We also had a really tough schedule. We played against a good Michigan state team, a good, a really good Ohio state team. We won the national championship the next year. Um, we had a t- the first, the first uh, the Northern Illinois game was a loss that should not have been a loss, but uh, that was a tough one. And then we should never lose to Iowa State. Um, lost that one close. So, yeah. But late, I think late in the season we had, and you know, a lot of I think Coach Ferentz's favorite teams are the teams that improve throughout the year. And we won some big games late in the season, and so you always kind of feel be- better about a, a season whenever you know you improve throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, you guys beat Michigan and then won at Nebraska, which, um, you know, that's that's a – when you looked at the 2012 team, I don't think people saw that coming. No. Um, yeah, that, that that Michigan game was cold. I remember that one. That was <laughs> yeah, a, I remember that, too. That was a cold – and that, that there was a, a – I think it was an overtime Northwestern game, too. Um, so that season, that we had a good strong end to that year. Um, that Michigan game one is one that obviously stands out and, uh, going to Nebraska and winning. That was, uh, that was fun. It's always nice to beat Nebraska. What was it like going back and playing in the shoe? And that game, obviously you guys gave them all they could handle. It was, the, you know, the tight end game and, uh, yeah. you guys were right there. That was, uh, that was definitely a very, it was weird because I'd watched so many games there growing up. Um, so, and even, you know, there was a lot of guys on the staff there as far as not the coaching staff, but, um, <clears throat> there was just a, that, that were there when my dad played and that people I had known. So I knew people on the sidelines and then there was obviously, you know, a lot of, uh, people from my hometown and surrounding area that are diehard Ohio State fans that were all at the game. And so it was, it was a, it was the warmups and everything was really weird. Even going to the stadium, all of that was weird, and then kind of once the game started, you just forgot about all of that. Yeah. But that was a, it was a very memorable experience, um, you know. And so I'm sure, like, somebody like my, my grandma and grandpa who had watched uh, – and my aunt, who had watched my dad my dad play there, and then I had the chance to go play there as well. It was probably pretty special for them. But, yeah, it was definitely weird, and uh, I thought we should have won the game. We struggled there in that fourth quarter. I think we were tied at the end of the third had a legitimate shot, um, yeah. but yeah, I just remember Doozy running for eighty seven. Uh, <laughs> I think that's how long that touchdown was, but and uh, he got to really show off his wheels there. Pretty good tight ends: George Kittle, uh, Doozy, and Fedorowitz. I think those are the three tight ends, right? Yeah, Ray Hamilton. Ray was tough. Ray oh, was that's good right. Too. Yeah, yeah. Ray. That tight end room was loaded. Yeah. You know, the guy I feel bad for the most is Doozy because that guy is, he's an NFL tight end. That's another really good friend of mine, but he, 
he, you know, he got a, the raw end of the stick there whenever, you know, he started having some injury troubles because yeah. he'd, he'd still be playing. He's a damn yeah. good player. So feel bad for him. But yeah, we were pretty loaded at tight end position. And, uh, so yeah, great. I mean, Iowa always is, but they, uh, yeah. So you guys, uh, end up going to the Outback Bowl. Nice, nice reward for the season and get LSU and, uh, you get your first career interception that set up the first uh, first touchdown, 74-yard yeah. return. You want, you want to take us through that play again, John? Yeah, I'll take you right through it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was well, – looking back, I was always so lucky that Kirksey was the uh, the outside backer that played in front yeah. of me because he was basically a nickel. Like, that guy could run like a DB. And so, right. yeah, yeah, he was, still is a damn good player, but – uh yeah, I, I was, it was a gift. Coach Parker calls them gifts that just fell right <laughs> in my lap. And so all I had to do is catch it and run. And that's not really the textbook way to finish a, uh, a pick for a touchdown, I'd say. Um, but yeah, you don't, you don't ever want to drop the ball at the one yard line before you go in. And so sadly, that's the one, that's the play that sticks out in my head the most to this day. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, the thing is, I had no idea I even did it. I ran and celebrated and I had no, you know, when I watch, when I've seen different angles, I still think I scored. I think I got a little screwed on that, but whatever. That's why you just run it to the back of the end zone and, and hand the ball to the official. But, uh, after that happened, like I was on the sideline celebrating and, uh, you know, just getting ready from the kick to extra point. And I remember Phil coming over and was like, Hey, did you drop the ball? I was, no, what are you talking about? And he's like, he's like, you sure they're looking at it? And then I, I was like, oh shit, like did I do that? I don't know. And so then all of a sudden, like the review was taking a little longer. It, it did take like, a while. Thing? I remember. Oh, it took so long. <laughs> and I was like, ah oh, shit, I did. I maybe I did. Like I don't know what happened. And so they announced it, and I was like, and. Like, I didn't know what was going to, I didn't know if they were going to get the ball or what happened exactly. And so I was just, I was so embarrassed, like so embarrassed. And I just remember putting my head down, but I was happy that we got the ball at least at the one yard line. So, and then we got stopped, I think on first and second down. And I just wanted, I just wanted to run out of the stadium. Like I just wanted to go <laughs> run through the tunnel and leave and leave the stadium. And then we ended up scoring, but still it was, uh, that sucked. That was embarrassing. It was tough to have to, uh, you know, answer for it afterwards, especially since we lost. But that was a that was a tough play for me. And obviously, that's you talk about regret. That's one of them. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, you know, you guys ended up scoring the touchdown anyway, so it wasn't like it cost you guys the game. So, I mean, you, you got to at least take pride. some solace and. <laughs> <laughs> So what did Phil say when it was? Did, what, did he give you shit after um, no. it was? Uh, okay, that's good. no. They they were all the everybody because I think they knew. I mean, I am a jackass. There's no doubt about that. But I've always been a for the most part. Like I've always taken pride in being a humble jackass. Yeah. And so uh, that's not something that I. I mean, I don't think anybody intentionally uh, does that. But right. it was pretty out of character for me to do something like that. And so they, as soon as we had scored, like, I never heard about it again. I mean, other than, 
you know, once we scored, I remember LeVar Woods coming over to me like, hey, you know, the defense got a little extra rest, so thanks for that. Like, just making little yeah. jokes, yeah. little jokes like that, which kind of lighten the mood a little bit, but that, it, it still, it bothers me. It still bothers me to this day. That one, that sucks. That hurts. So, uh, but yeah, everybody, they all, they all, teammates handled it well, and, you know, I still get my balls busted about it to this day, but, you know, <laughs> everybody's been pretty, pretty easy on me about it. So you were uh, honorable mention all Big Ten by the media that year, and then the following year by both the coaches and the media in 2014. So, um, quite real good story, right there. yeah. Two star, <laughs> another two star success story, John Loudermilk. But um, I've, yeah. I've kept you a long time, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on the 2014 season, which was an, another. Uh, often another gut punch. Just you were talking about earlier about those those uh, those swing games, those toss up games, and, and they just didn't go your way that season. What what did you guys? Uh, you know, then you had the quarterback thing, uh, which obviously was you know, as somebody who was covering the team, was something that we were writing about. And then mm-hmm. uh, the Derek Willie story, just a lot of controversy, a lot of things that maybe weren't on the field that kind of were distractions that season. Yeah, um, obviously the biggest one was the biggest distraction was the the quarterback situation. Um, but you know, other than that, I'm trying to you know think about the year. I I can't. I know we lost uh, another one to Iowa State, and like I said before, we should never lose to Iowa State um, on a last second field goal. Right? Who yep. did we play? Who did we play first that year? Oh, Northern uh, Iowa. Yeah, we uh, played yeah. against some really good. Bright- Play against some really good running backs. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, shit! You and I game, Ball State, Iowa State. So, um, yeah, there's just so many close games, and you know that's those make or break a season. Winning those ones, um, you got to win the close games. But uh, yeah, I think the, the quarterback controversy, and I wasn't on the offense side of the ball, so you know I can't tell you how everybody felt about it, but. That permeates a whole locker room, though, doesn't it, John? When something, I mean, that's your, I mean, that's the front porch of the, you know, that's the position. That's the kind of the face. The thing, so I, it's tough to make that switch because, you know, CJ's, CJ's, uh, at that, at that time, you know, he had limited, obviously he, he'd played really well, but his, he was very limited, you know, you didn't, you didn't see, you know, for the most part, full games. And so Jake was consistent. Jake, I know a lot of people didn't like the fact that he, he checked the ball down. Um, you know, they thought he needed to be a little more aggressive. But, you know, it's just – it's hindsight's twenty twenty. You just don't know how some of those things are going to turn out. And right. so, obviously, it worked out for both guys. Um, after With Jake, Jake had a good year at Michigan, and then CJ mm-hmm. obviously took the team to the Rose Bowl. And so I like both Jake and CJ. Um, and so I'm just glad I didn't really, I could kind of avoid that. But, but yeah, it's just two different guys. You know, Jake's going to, Jake's not going to turn the ball over and CJ is going to make big ass plays. And so everybody wants to see big ass plays, but you know, nobody, you know, sometimes with those big plays, you know, bad things happen, but I, I don't know. So I don't know what the the right or wrong choice was, but. 
No, you explained it well, and it's, you know, what CJ was in 2015, he wasn't at the beginning of 2014. People forget, I think, and I'll get on my soapbox a little bit, that guys improve in college a great deal from year to year, and it's not always as cut and dried as people think. And that dynamic there is, unlike professional football, when there are quarterback competitions and, and, you know, controversies in college, that dynamic of coming in with a group, you know, as a class. I think people don't understand how tight-knit a group of recruits are when they come in as a class. And I remember, you know, Austin Blythe and Jordan Kanzeri and guys that, you know, came in with Jake and were tight with Jake and just, it just makes for an awkward situation. And I think that that's tough. And I I definitely think that that was a factor in that season, uh, kind of the inconsistency of it, at least from the outside looking in. Yeah. And I, I was never a guy that whatever the coaches were deciding, like that's what I, and obviously I was on defense, but that's what I was rolling with. Like they're, they, I cannot do their job, and so they're much smarter than I am, and I they don't make the right decision, and then that's how it will go. And so I was always just kind of worried about the defensive side of the ball, but you know, and then at the same time, everybody wanted CJ, and you know, there was times where I wanted CJ to be in there too. And then you look at the second half of that Wisconsin game where Jake right. just got hot, yep. and you know, he always had, he had the ability to do that. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was definitely it was a it was a weird situation, but um, I don't know. Like I said, it, it worked out for both Jake and CJ. You know, they both are CJ still playing. I, I don't know if Jake's still playing. I know he, he was with the Lions for a bit, and then I think he was down in Miami. Yeah. Um, but it worked out. It worked out well for both of them. But that uh, that bowl game was that down in Tennessee was that was an interesting uh, bowl prep. So. But, yeah, uh, that was. That was not a good scene. We don't need to go over that a whole, whole heck <laughs> we of a lot. Two and A's, yeah. two and A's for bowl prep. <laughs> that season was just, those were some, and this is not to make you feel bad or anything, but, you know, I've covered Coach Ferentz's whole time here, but there were two two games in that season where I he's I've never seen him quite as pissed off as he was in the postgame press conferences. The game at Maryland, he was oh, hot. Yeah. Oh, and, that was an awful game. And then the game at Minnesota. Both yeah, those... of those were just, he was pissed off. And you could just tell that, man, I would not want to be somebody having to practice for this guy the next week. Especially, you know, if he, we see him, you know, uh, emotion, we, we see Coach Ferentz when he gets emotional in the locker room and stuff. But if he, right. you know, isn't level-headed toward, with the media, then, you know, we got another thing coming. So, yeah, that uh, those were two just ugh, tough games to think about. Tough. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that Maryland one was rough, and then we should never get beat against by Minnesota like that. That was an, that was an embarrassment. Yeah, but I mean, overall, as bad as things were that season, you guys still, you know, made it to a bowl game and yeah. a decent bowl game, and had some good wins that year too i mean it wasn't like it was a a complete disaster so and i mean you look at those last two that last two regular season losses against wisconsin and nebraska i mean those are those toss-up games man those go the other way and it's got the it's a whole different uh complexion of what that season looks like yeah we were we were still in the hunt those last two games and 
that Wisconsin game, we that was that was a pretty fun game. You know, we lost, but that was that was a, I, I always liked playing against Wisconsin. Um, the environment was awesome for that one, and then yeah, we ended up. Jake got hot in the second half. The offense really turned it on, and then we needed one stop at the end of the game. One stop, and uh, what's his name, Stavi was able to scramble a little bit and uh, get a first down, and they kind of clinched it there. But, yeah, that, that Wisconsin one was tough. And then that Nebraska one where I can't – what, we were up 17 or 20. I can't remember what we were up. But we were up big in the fourth quarter and then gave up a couple big special teams plays. And uh, I remember a big uh, – uh, a couple big – big plays to one to Kenny Bell. I can't remember the other one was a couple of big passes. And so yep. that was another game we never should have lost and ended up getting beaten overtime. So yeah, I just got to win the close ones. That's uh that's Iowa, man. So there's always those, those close games that, you know, kind of decide a season. I know you talked earlier in the pod about um, just kind of wish things could have gone better you know, from a win-loss standpoint when you were at Iowa. But what did you take out of the experience, John, you know, from a positive standpoint? And and I would think that maybe going through some adversity helps you in life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, adversity always makes you better. But, I, you know, friendships, friendships that will last forever, uh, you know, relationships. I mean, I love Phil Parker, and, you know, I haven't talked to him for a bit, but – you know, that guy, he, he was just, I couldn't think of a, a better coach for myself personally. Coach Ferentz, who's just, just the kindest, you know, the kindest guy who, who truly cares about your success as a person. He's not, he doesn't, obviously wins and losses are important, but when I say that guy really cares about his players and wants them to be successful and ha- find success after football, um, <clears throat> you know, I couldn't, pl- I couldn't play for a better group of coaches and the guys there were awesome, you know, and so I just, I think about, you know, being a, a young kid there and those, those early morning workouts and then riding on the back of someone's moped in the middle of winter until like a <laughs> 7 a.m. rhetoric class, like just little things, like just all the crazy shit you did and, all the yeah. fun you had. I, I think it, I think of those moments and it was definitely worth it. You know, all the things that are kind of off the field. So yeah, it was uh, just an incredible experience for myself personally. Well said, man. And I appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. Walk down memory lane, some great stories that I'm sure uh, the listeners will, will enjoy. And uh, now that you're in Des Moines, maybe we can catch a, you know, catch up and get a beer someday. Absolutely. I'm always more than happy to grab a beer. So, yeah, that would be fun. We're going to have to do that. So uh, I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. And and as I've said in other podcasts, works as a little bit of an escape during a tough time in the country. And thanks again to John for joining us. And we will be back soon with another former Hawkeye to talk about some Hawkeye history. Thanks for joining us.